Well, we're wrapping up really our Christmas uh, series tonight, and we're uh, going to have two Bible readings just now that Stephen is going to open up for us uh, later on in our evening together. It's, uh, first of all, from Genesis uh, chapter 12. We're going to read from verses 1 to 3. So, Genesis chapter 12, reading from the first uh, three verses, the beginning of uh, God's call to Abraham. You'll find that on page 13 of the Pew Bibles. And then we're going to uh, switch into Galatians chapter 4, as you see there on the screen. So, Genesis chapter uh, 12, page 13, the first three verses, knowing that this is God's Word. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Amen. Now we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4 and the first uh, seven verses. And again, you'll find that in page 1170, 1170 of the uh, Pew Bibles. Paul is speaking, what I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us these readings from His Word. We'll do turn back, if you would, to that second reading from Galatians, Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. We're going to be thinking particularly about verses 4 and 5 for a few brief moments together this evening. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father God in heaven, we thank You for this time, and we pray that You would open our eyes and our ears to understand and to obey Your Word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak to us naturally enough this evening about what it means that the time is filled up. Everything about this evening has to do with the time being filled up. The hours, the days, the moments of 2023 are very nearly 
filled up. One of you has already uh, suggested this evening that if we're going to do this properly, we stay here till midnight, and you'd be reassured that the answer to that is no, uh, we're not going to do that. But it's a natural time when we've reflected, and we've done some of this already this evening, on the year that, that was 2023, and anticipated, hoped, feared about what comes in 2024, what kind of year it will be. And we've known uh, uniquely, each heart knows its own sorrows, its own, own joys from the year that's passed and anticipates 2024. The time is filled up, but what does it mean? And then we could reckon time a little bit differently from saying this is the very last moment of our calendar year. So it is the last Sunday, it's the last day of 2023. But if we reckon time differently from Christmas, it's the first Sunday after Christmas. And that's traditionally also a time when we think about the next big moment in the life of the Lord Jesus. When, when seven days of his earthly life were filled up, on the eighth day he was circumcised. The baby Jesus was circumcised. We read that verse this morning from Luke chapter 2. The time for the Lord Jesus to be circumcised was filled up, but what did it mean? We're used to thinking about what his birth means for us, but what does the circumcision of Jesus mean for us? The time was filled up, but what does it mean? And then we came to our reading from Galatians chapter 4, and verse 4 and 5 is where we'll spend our time. And the beginning of verse 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, talks about a great filling up of time. And this is the time and the filling up of time that we're going to reflect on this evening. And we're going to find that it helps us understand every other filling up of time. It will help us understand what happened on the eighth day when the Lord Jesus was circumcised, and it will help us understand about the filling up of the end of this year, the beginning of a new one. With all its unknowns and all its uncertainties, it will shed light on what it holds for us. So, before we look at uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, I want to tell us first a story. And it's a story about a boy, a lad, and how he grew up. Once there was a boy, a son, and from his infancy, he was promised everything in the great house of his father. It was all his. He was son and heir. It all belonged to him. He wandered around the house, and he owned it all. But he was young. He was really young. He was a minor. He was only an infant. And from very early in his youth, he was given a calendar. There was a calendar placed in the great house. And it marked out the times and the years and the stages all the way until the moment when he would reach maturity and reach majority and come in fully into his inheritance. And we know all about calendars, so you know, it just takes the time it takes. So, if we've had a calendar in our house this past month, and maybe there's even been a chocolate behind some of those, uh, those little windows in those days, well, you open up one day and you've got to wait a whole day to the next one. Or if you're the kind of person tears off a page of your calendar, you've been tearing off your page dutifully all year, and you come now to the end of the calendar at the year. Or in olden days, where we would tell time by sundial, you'd see the shadows lengthen, and as they lengthened, you'd measure them in feet, and then you could move across the next stage in the sundial, and it just took the time it took. It takes the time it takes. That's how it works, that measurement of time. Well, there was the son. He had a calendar in the house marking out the stages until the day when he obtained his inheritance. Now, if you'd gone into the house and you'd watched him, you might have mistaken him for a common slave, even though he was a freeborn son. 
because he was taking instructions and orders from guardians and, and masters and stewards in the house. And he had a tutor who instructed him. There were restrictions. He was following orders. But it was all because he was a minor. He was still the son. He was still the heir of all things. He just hadn't come fully into his inheritance. And then the day came. The time was filled up. It finally arrived. The fullness of time had come, and he could enter into the full rights of his inheritance. Now, that story of the son, as you might have even guessed, is the story of the Old Testament. It's the story of Israel, and it's the story that Paul has been telling so far in this letter of Galatians that we've jumped into this evening. So, we've actually been following a bit of this story already in Hill Street in the past few months as we've been looking through Exodus because the son Israel was young. Those were his infant days at the time of the Exodus. Do you remember in Exodus 4, God says to, to Moses, tell Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son, this kind of corporate son, this, this typical son. 700 years later, the prophet Hosea will reflect and look back on those early years of Israel, the son, and God says through him, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. I taught Ephraim, Israel, to walk. So, all those plagues, all that battle with Pharaoh, all the crossing of the Red Sea, it turns out you can sum it up in one really simple image. A father calls his young son, and he was calling him to an inheritance. And through the rest of the Old Testament, the son grows up and matures until the day when it's time to enter into his inheritance. And now, if you come to Galatians 4 verse 1, you can see that this is the story Paul has been telling. He says, verse 1, if you came and looked at the son, Israel, when he was still in his youth, it looked like slavery. Even though, verse 1, he's the owner of everything. But verse 2, he was under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And he says, in the same way, we, Israel, well, we were under the guardian called the law. That was the name of the tutor. This was the ceremonial Mosaic law, that whole system and era of sacrifices and ceremonies and rites, it was like that tutor or like that calendar, the pages turned over, the shadows lengthened, and it marked the passage. That's what the law did. It marked the passage of God's people from youth to adulthood, from infancy to maturity, from being heirs in waiting to being heirs in fact. And so, what happened when the time was filled up. Let's come to the climax of this story in chapter 4, verse 4. And we're going to walk through these two verses simply and briefly together. Verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under law. Now, we've been talking about a son, Israel, But here, God sent forth one who was already son. God sent forth His Son by nature, the one eternally begotten of the Father from before all ages, begotten, not made. He was from the Father, sharing fully in the divine being of God. He was already and forever Son before He was sent. 
And at a certain moment, in the fullness of time, God sent His Son by nature to be born of woman. We think particularly about that in the past week. But also born, it says, under law. I want us to pause on that phrase, born under law. It's Paul's way of describing the tutor, the calendar. The whole era, remember, when Israel was under those rites, those ceremonies, those sacrifices, including circumcision. And, and the one who was God's eternal son by nature took to himself a human nature. He came under law. He also became a son of the covenant. And one of the first big moments in his life where you saw that this boy was under law was on his eighth day. When we're told in Luke 2, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised. The time was filled up, and he was circumcised. He came under law. Now, what happened on that day? Well, at a very basic level, there was cutting, and there was bleeding. But what did it mean? Paul tells us at the beginning of verse 5, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law. It means that this whole divine mission of the Son has to be understood as, as happening for redemption. It was to redeem those who were under the law. He came under the law to redeem those who were under the law. And His coming under the law included what happened to Him on the eighth day. It included His circumcision. So, Christ's blood began to be shed even on His eighth day. It was already atoning blood. It was already redeeming blood. From the very beginning of His mission, Christ was carrying this out with His blood, and the blood of that eight-day-old baby was shed for you and me. Now, if this all seems a little bit strange to your ears, it's because I left out a big bit of that story when I was telling you about the boy who was growing up. The journey of that son to inheritance, if truth be told, was never going to be bloodless. He was never going to pass from infancy to his full rights as heir without blood. Because that, that calendar, that tutor, actually taught and instructed that the blessing that was going to come, the blessing of being an heir of all those promises that we heard about in Genesis chapter 12 in our first reading, that was only going to come when the one offspring of Abraham, Christ, came and bore the curse of the law. It was never going to be bloodless. And so, when Paul says in verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law, he expects that in chapter 4, we've read chapter 3, and we haven't yet, but chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, let me read to us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The lesson the tutor was teaching to Israel was that only when Christ comes and bears the curse of the law, which is the curse of sin, can the inheritance flow to us. Now, if you were here this morning, we we were hearing about how this is not just an Israelite concern. Simeon and Anna 
were growing old waiting, but they were waiting there, righteous Israel, waiting for the coming of the Christ and the redemption that's talked about here. They were waiting on behalf of the world. They were waiting also, not only for Jews, but for Gentiles. For that promise given to Abraham was that all nations would be blessed through Abraham. So then Christ came, not on account of himself, but for us. And this included what happened to him on his eighth day. His early blood also meant our redemption. So as we think about what happened to the Lord Jesus and the filling up of time at his circumcision, it's not a distant Jewish rite, but it proclaims to us the gospel of grace, the Lord Jesus' blood shed for us. But there's a final thing, there's a further thing that we uh, need to see in verse 5, which is in the second half of verse 5, because the whole purpose of this mission of the Son, this redeeming from under the law, it's got a great goal, and that goal can be described in one word as sonship, or adopted as sons, sonship, the end of verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is how the story reached its peak. The son who was born under law in his very circumcision, he was bringing about that many could become sons by grace. Not just one, but many. Not just Jew, but Gentiles. Not just them then, but us now. And so the times filled up what do they mean? They mean sonship, your sonship and mine. And the dignity of this sonship is glorious. It is the privilege and the right to be called children of the living God. One writer has described this as the apex of grace and privilege. Now, don't misunderstand this sonship in one of, in one of two ways. We don't share in the unique sonship of the Lord Jesus. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. He is uniquely the only begotten and eternal Son. It's an ineffable mystery, and it remains so. But yet, there is a glory, and there is a fittingness that the sending of the Son, who is Son by nature, redeems us for sonship by grace. By grace, we are called children of the living God. The era of the tutor is over. The era of sonship is here. And so, every time we address those words to, to our God and Father, our Father in heaven, as we've already done this evening, well, what we're doing is we're exercising the highest privilege that we could possibly exercise as sons and as heirs. And this language of sons, we might say, why not sons and daughters? Paul knows well the glory of bearing distinctly the image of God as male and female. But brothers and sisters, boys and girls, he places before us this language of sons that we always know that we are legal sons and full heirs. And we take this privilege not to ourselves by right, but by grace. And it also sets before us that we're to be conformed, all of us, 
to the image of the Son. Here I am, said Jesus, and the children God has given me. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. So then the time is uh, filled up. It's filled up for this year. On the eighth day of Jesus, it was filled up for him, the time for his circumcision in Galatians 4.4, the great filling up of time in the fullness of time. And what did it mean? It meant sonship, the era of sonship had come, has come for us. And so let me leave us with, with two things to cherish particularly in the days that lie ahead. Whatever providences lie ahead of us, let me leave us with these two precious things to cherish. The first is the grace of your sonship. God sent forth His Son is a statement full of grace. His mission in time for us and for our salvation, including His shed blood on the eighth day, that He would bear our sin and the curse of sin and purchase for us full rights of sonship. Remember the grace of your sonship. But also cherish the privilege of your sonship, the privilege of being sons and heirs of God. We didn't go on and think about it, but in verse 6, you see that God sent His Spirit. The Son's mission and then the Spirit's mission, but the Spirit's mission, verse 6, is not a totally different mission unrelated to sonship. Do you see that because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son, by whom we're enabled to cry, what only sons and full heirs can, Abba, Father. And so you're no longer a slave but a son, says Paul. This is the privilege of our sonship. And so when we kneel by our beds or we sit in our tables or we're in our homes with our family or we're in church and we take up those words, our Father who art in heaven, we do that as those upon whom the end of the ages has come and has heaped up. In the fullness of time, God has laid upon us this great privilege. So, in a sense, the sign over our year is sonship, because whatever providences lie ahead of us, whatever the year ahead holds, we meet it as those who are heirs and sons, children of the living God Himself.